Wonder Things Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 87. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm David Subkoyak. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we run it up the mountain past the gods of Olympus, down through the gates of Hades, and back across the fields of Elysium <laughs> with the refined words which are now literary, literary gold. <laughs> That's brilliant and oddly appropriate for the story we'll be workshopping later, sir. Dude, you've got a future in this business. <laughs> Dave Subkowiak, uh, a formerly guest writer back in 2012, now sitting by my side, my co-host and wingman. Dude, thank you so much. This The 20 minutes was a blast. I am so looking forward to the next phase of this podcast arena of awesomeness, dude. Thank you for coming on and sharing it with me. Oh, thank you. I can't wait. Uh, I know. It's going to be a blast. Let's let's not wait. Let's just dive right on into this. Let's bring back our guest host, fresh from an awesome 20 minutes with covering various topics of, of relevancy and poignancy, I think, to the writerly craft. Uh, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Django Wexler. Django, dude, we had a great time Hello. with the 20 minutes with. We covered some fabulous stuff. I am so pumped to workshop a story with you, man. Thanks for coming back. Thanks. I'm excited. Ah, so are we. So are we. before we dive into this, um, I'm, I'm really curious. You have laid out, basically, there's a five-book series in the Shadow Campaigns. Uh, Alice's stories are also charted as five books out. Uh, uh, you're doing articles for SF Signal. You're all over the place. So this next question is very pertinent. What's coming up for Django Wexler? <laughs> Actually, surprisingly little. I've had an incredibly busy season and now it's kind of died down, which is great because I need to write, um, you know, Shadow Campaigns 4, which is what I'm working on now. <laughs> so Price of Valor, the third book in the Shadow Campaigns, came out July 7th and we're all excited about that. Hopefully we'll still be excited about it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then my next actual book release is not until next year. Uh, the Forbidden Library book three, uh, The Palace of Glass, will be coming out probably in April. Did book two um, come out not, already? Did no, it, we're, we're on to book two. Um, uh, the Mad Apprentice came out this year. Yeah, right. It comes it. out next year. Okay. Um, uh, Forbidden Library is about a year behind the uh, Shadow Commands. Okay. Um, but I have a bunch of short stuff uh, that is either coming out or will be out, I think, by the time this goes to air. So I'm in uh, several anthologies. Um, you mentioned last last time uh, Black Guards from Ragnarok Publications, which right. I have a story in. It's actually a shadow campaign story. Um, I also have a story in John Joseph Adams' anthology Operation Arcana, which is a military fantasy anthology. Uh, my story is about land battleships versus giant steampunk spiders uh so i hope you all get that it's actually a really good anthology even apart from me there's there's a lot of really good stories in there um and then coming out is another anthology from john joseph adams called press start to play which is video game themed stories uh i haven't actually read through that one yet but i'm sure they're all great there's some great authors in there uh and one of mine is in there as well it's a it's a, a sort of 
adaptation of a really old story from my trunk that I never got to use. And I really, yeah, I rewrote it completely, but I kept like one great line that I had always liked. So that was really satisfying for me. (laughs) So Um, I'm always, I'm always gratified to hear that, that novels and stories do come out of the trunk every now and again. Every so often. I mean, it's not like I took it out of the trunk and used it. Right. Took it out of the trunk and read it. And I was like, this is terrible because I wrote it 12 (laughs) years ago, but maybe there's an idea there that I can use. And I did. Um, and then um, if you missed it, I have a story in Asimov's, which, you know, you were going over in your intro last time. Asimov's was the first place I ever submitted right. way, way back in the dawn of time. Uh, and so they finally took one of my stories 20 years later uh, and put it on their cover. Um, <laughs> so awesome. my story, The End of the War, is is on Asimov's. And I think it will be up uh, as audio on a podcast somewhere. Um, I'll have to have to confirm that. Uh, I'll put it on my website and my Twitter when, when that comes up. Yes. But so, so there's all that stuff coming up for me. Um, and then the, the anthology coffee hot, which is an anthology of SFF erotica set in coffee houses, which, uh, my friend, the editor, Victoria Pond talked me into writing a story for, and <laughs> I said, I've never done erotica before, but sure. I have this idea. It seems funny. So uh, I don't know. I, I like my story a lot. It's funny. I was gonna um, say you're stretching your legs, man. You are definitely reaching as as a well, writer. I, I got a lot of friends, and they ask me to do stuff, and I'm like, mm, all right, why not? <laughs> sure, that just, sounds great. Just a boy uh, who can't say no. Yeah, well, it can be a problem. Sometimes I have too many things to do. Well, and you've also another lovely bit of circular closure is the uh, science fiction book club featured uh, the thousand names. Yes, uh, this summer I'm- as a, as a featured book. That was very gratifying. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to get that. What about conventions? Are you making the, the the conference scene at all? I was, but I'm done for the year. Well, okay, that's not 100% true. So um, by the time this goes to air, PAX will already have happened. So too late for you guys who wanted to see me at PAX. But I will probably be going to Oricon because I have been nominated for the Endeavor Award for Pacific Northwest writers. And so that's a, a local convention down in Oregon and Portland. And Congratulations. So that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. I'm very honored to be nominated. I don't have any illusions about winning because um, my opponents are Jay Lake, Jay Lake and Jay Lake. Ooh. Uh, so, and that's tough. Jay Lake is, is both a wonderful writer was, I, I have to say the late Jay Lake uh, and, and just a sort of Titanic beloved figure in this community. And so uh, I'm sure uh, one of his novels will get that honor, but it'll be fun to do. Sure. Uh, At least you got the recognition, the acknowledgement. Yeah, uh, and, that's and, cool. and, and it's, I'm super honored to be included on that short list. That's actually, I think my first short list for an award. So, and that was Oricon. Oricon, O-R-Y-C-O-N. I will make sure that all of that gets into the liner notes along with your website and your Twitter feed and all of that stuff. Friends, there's obviously some awesome stuff out there with Django Wexler's tag on it. Uh, So make with the clicky click when you hear this and check it all out. Now, Mr. Subkaliak, I'm curious, uh, 2012 is a long time since you've been on. What have you been doing and what's coming up for you, dude? Oh, I've been writing. Um, what a shock. I haven't, yeah, I haven't been publishing, but I've been writing. Um, coming up for me, I'm actually finishing up uh, a murder thriller uh, presently, but I'm also getting back to my roots a little bit, and I'm creating an audio drama. Ooh, dude. A full cast audio drama that is going to be a prequel to a novel. 
Dude, look at you cross media, transmedia storytelling. That's progressive. Um, oh. when, when, are, when are auditions going to be for that? <laughs> just, just out of curiosity. If you're looking for voice actors, I, I know a couple. So I will definitely keep everyone in the loop on that one. I will, awesome. I will need voices. I, I am a character guy and I usually have way too many. Fabulous. Excellent. Which means you'll have a cast of audio thousands. That's correct. Very cool. That goes great because I would love it if audio dramas became like a big thing again. Yes. Absolutely. Couldn't you know. agree more. Well, you, you've got, you know, We're Alive. I don't know if you tuned into that, Django. Uh, uh, brilliant. I have it. Oh, dude, We're Alive. Write it down. Check it, it out. Up. It is probably, it is one of the the most uh, superbly produced and beautifully written stories as audio drama uh, that's come out in a long, long time. Uh, I mean, uh, I feel like we're getting a little bit of a resurgence of the, like, fiction that's sort of original to audio since the you know obviously the old days of of radio i mean there's welcome to night vale i know is right right sure, exactly and uh jay smith's uh, uh hidden harbor mysteries uh recently came out uh, that uh, i i got to chance to play in and that was awesome oh nice uh so yeah, that yeah. Was great the the the, I, the the podcast phenomena and the whole audio fiction vibe has really i think stimulated as you say Django, that that interest in that form that format of storytelling yeah i mean i love audiobooks and i'm you know i'd love to see more sort of original audio stuff because there's stuff you can do that's not really the same as just read someone reading a book. True enough. True enough. In fact, we had the, the creator of we are alive on the show, uh, not too many, uh, uh, episodes back, uh, case oh. uh, Casey Whalen and, uh, great stuff in there. If, if you're at all interested in that Django, go back and check that out. And friends, if you missed that, I absolutely will de- do check it out. There's a, we actually brainstormed an audio drama, uh, uh as, as, uh, the brainstorming exercise. So yeah, very topical. And speaking of brainstorming, here's what I'd like to do. I, Dave, I will make sure that all of that goodness gets into the liner notes as well. But for now, I want to pause. I want to give some airtime to a, a, an audiobook or, or a podcast or a Kickstarter, something like that. Something fabulous that's happening out in the podosphere. And when we come back, Django, Dave, I want to brainstorm a story idea with you. Are you down with that? Absolutely. I am down. <laughs> He's down. We're all down. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We're all going to be down and right back. The most powerful men in the world. The horrors created by mad science. Tentacled monstrosities from beyond the veil. The elder gods themselves. None of these evils can keep occult consulting detective Esho St. Clair from the case. Whether his clients come from the high rises of Manhattan or the depths of the undercity. Esho won't stop until the case is solved. From the mind of Scott Roche comes the casebook of Esho St. Clair, featuring two complete tales of the fearless detective and his stalwart companions as they face off against terrors beyond the understanding of normal men. Find out more at www.scottroche.com or look for the casebook of Esho St. Clair at your favorite online booksellers. 
Welcome back, dear friends. And now we get down to the reason why you're here and the reason why we're here. The main course, the dessert, and the appetizer all rolled into one, the story workshop. And that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the writer's chair to lay the table for our story brainstorming feast. And friends, our guest writer didn't start off as a colossal sci-fi and fantasy nerd like everybody else else currently on the Skype line. Uh, He was going to be the next Bo Jackson of hockey was his big plan. Uh, But plans go awry because his first grade English teacher shoved a copy of Ender's Game into his hand and he devoured it in a single day. Dudes, that's all it takes. Five cc's of genre in your bloodstream, and you are hooked. He was actually inspired to write by the success of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series. Uh, Not necessarily the series itself, but the fact that she had just written a book, and it got published. That shattered the ivory pedestal he had always held for published authors. To paraphrase Stephen King, you write what you read or what you want to read, and that is the truth that guides him. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the roundtable, Will. Whitman. Will, dude, it's a bold step you're taking and I got nothing but love and respect for you because putting your baby out for scrutiny, not just among these three esteemed gentlemen, and I include myself in that list, but also uh, for our listeners, that takes some cojones and nothing but respect for you, man. Thank you. Hey, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So do you still play hockey? I mean, the, the, the dreams of stardom as a hockey player pushing the puck around have obviously faded, but are you still into the game? I do. Uh, I don't play ice hockey as much anymore, mostly uh, roller hockey now. Oh, dude, but, I always thought that was like harder because, man, it ain't, you know, ice at least bounces a little bit. Asphalt, <laughs> you'll, you'll rip some shit up with that. Yeah, it's just it's a little less serious. And I, I can kind of tone down the competitive juices that way. I don't get a little too crazy. <laughs> good man. Good man. Save your competitive juices for the publishing arena. Absolutely. So, all right, let's get into this, man. I'm keen to hear your story. So you know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. You, you introduce, give us the story, title or titles, the, the, the target audience. Uh, give us a tagline. Give us the themes you're working on, the world. Introduce us to the characters. Give us the basic tent poles of a story arc. And we will be off and running in this brainstorming cavalcade. So I'm going to stop talking. Get out of the way, sir. The mic is all yours. All right, here we go. Uh, This is going to be a fantasy novel. I have three potential titles I'm working with. Ares Chosen, Born to War, and War Scion. Uh, The hook line is, a child is one of 50, chosen by Ares, god of war, and given the powers of a god. He is forced into a kill-or-be-killed world where he must search for a way to survive with his humanity intact. If I do the story right, it will be Highlander meets 300 meets Lord of the Flies. Awesome. Uh, The theme for the story is that it's a coming-of-age story, testing friendship, love, and family set in an impossible crucible. Um, The story is set in Mount Olympus, mostly taking place in the domain of Ares. Olympus is set up like 12 fiefdoms with each of the major gods, the lord of their own domain, and allowing entrance to their favored mortals, creating a contained city with its own unique politics. Each domain mirrors the god. For example, Poseidon's domain is a chain of islands and a stormy sea, and Hephaestus' domain is a volcanic land filled with mines and forges. Uh, the characters of this story, we'll start with the protagonist. The protagonist of the story is Patrocles. Patrocles is smart and reserved. The core of his identity lies in his parentage. 
His greatest strength is his tactical mind and recognizing strength in others and intuitively knowing how to bring it out. His greatest weakness is his self-doubt. His greatest fear is that he might become what he's grown to hate in Aries. Uh, he doesn't want to forget what life can be like with people who care about you and become a killer with no one to love or be loved by. As for his driving motivation beyond surviving the test that Aries set for him, I'm not really sure where, that, where I'm going with that, so that's something we can work on. Um, the, next, the next character, the supporting character, is Calliope. Uh, Calliope is the daughter of Amazonian royalty. She is sharp-witted with a razor tongue. Calliope is the ultimate tomboy at home in the dirt and will punch you in the face before she takes any lip. Uh, while she's capable of brawling, she's an expert with the bow and even better at disappearing in plain sight. This character, I'm not really sure of her motivations her, and guidance. Her greatest strength is her optimism and confidence. And I'm thinking her uh, driving motivation is to show that a woman can be the greatest warrior alive. As for the antagonist of this story, the primary antagonist throughout most of the story seems to be Ares. But as the plot progresses, we find out that Diana Keys is not the friend that Patrick thought he was and is actually the primary antagonist. So Ares is the embodiment of the ugliest side of war. The side of a war that after a long siege, will line, the invaders will line up the conquered men, cut their throats before looting the city and raping the women. Uh, his defeat at Troy by the hands of Athena stung his overwhelming ego, so he is blinded by anything that he sees as Athena-like. He is prideful, vain, and quick to anger. He rejects cl clever maneuvering as weak, even if it is tactically sound. His goal is to find a chosen who is a merciless killer that will instill, instill fear into friend and foe alike. Uh, his greatest weakness is his arrogance and he is blinded by his hatred of anything that reminds him of Athena. Diana Keys is a Spartan prince. His greatest strength is an implacable will and a single-mindedness. He does what it takes to accomplish his goal no matter what. His greatest weakness is his pride. He is much like Ares in this. His driving motivation is to get what he thinks is his due. To him, he is a Spartan prince, and it is only right that a Spartan royalty should be the chosen of the god of war. Uh, his greatest fear is that another person may usurp his position and show that he is not as special as he thinks he is. On to the story. Act 1 of the story introduces us to the protagonist, Patrocles, and explains that the gods have created the chosen mortals touched by a god or goddess's power to ensure their reach into the mortal world. It spans the first 9 to 10 years of Patrocles' life, starting when an acolyte offered him to Ares, as a child of a warrior slave famous for his ability to kill Spartans. Because of his heritage, Ares reluctantly accepts him, expecting him to die quickly, and he makes it clear to the other chosen that he sees him as unworthy, which effectively isolates him from any possible friendships. This isolation drives him closer to the one person who shows him any kindness, his wet earth Agatha, and he embraces her values almost as a way to spite Ares. Act 1 ends with Agatha's death and Patrick forming tentative friendships with Dianakes and Calliope. Act two cements the bond between this trio of new friends. Uh, they become a dominant force among Ares' chosen as a perfect team. Patrocles is the defensive wall, Diana Keys is the offensive force, and Calliope is the ranged fighter. As more of the chosen die and train, they become more and more powerful with Patrocles' unique gifts becoming apparent. Uh, Diana Keys begins to feel jealous of the acclaim Patrocles is receiving. When Patrocles and Calliope fall in love, his jealousy progressively worsens and he feels slighted that Calliope would choose Patrocles over him, even though he has no interest in her. Uh, to put Patrocles in his place, Dianakis makes a pass at Calliope and is rejected. Dianakis sees this as the last straw and begins to, th to deceive and decides to get even. 
Act two ends with Dianakis murdering Calliope and blaming it on Ariston, the only other chosen now left alive. Act three is all about vengeance. Enraged at the loss of his first love, Patrocles offers a formal challenge to Ariston, the purported murderer of Calliope. Ariston is qu uh, quite similar to Dianakis in terms of his abilities and strengths. Uh, so Dianakis seizes a chance to eliminate his biggest competition in Ariston, or get rid of Patrocles, who he has convinced himself is nothing more than a hanger-on who rode his coattails to glory. Instead, Patrocles wins the challenge and gains a powerful weapon, the spear of an Aladai giant, and he discovers that it was actually Dianakis who murdered Calliope. At this point, I'm unsure of exactly how I want to end the story. I don't want it to simply end with these two fighting in another duel, so I'm looking for something that will bring this to a, a good conclusion. So anything you guys can help me with on that end, I'd appreciate it. The ending and, is always the toughest. Yep. <laughs> I have a couple ideas, but nothing that I, I really think is the right way to end it. Okay. All right. Well, I think you've come to the right place. Is there anything else besides the ending that you want us to, to delve into, Will? Um, I'd just like to flesh out my characters, you know, find any plot holes. And like I said, the ending. Also, any book recommendations that for inspiration and guidance you guys can offer, I'd appreciate it. Okay. Awesome. I, I think we can definitely provide some some insights and, and some uh, uh, literary gold along those lines. Uh, very good. Very well done. Good, good pitch. Uh, before we proceed forward, however, we need to make sure our asses are covered. Mr. Subkaliak, would you be so kind? Absolutely. Will, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Django might be complete and utter bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Okay? Understood. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> That's a great caveat. <laughs> Very important. So true. Yes. We learned it early on. It's like, you know, it's quite possible that, uh, that, that there might be a lot of BS being slung around and it's, it's, we're covered at this point, however. So let's dive into this thing then. Um, we always start with a quick, just once around the table to get first impressions, to ask any questions of clarification. Uh, and we habitually start with our guest host. So Django Wexler, start us off, sir. What are your first impressions? of Will's story idea and do you have any questions to help clarify some points you weren't clear on? First impressions. Um, so there isn't a plot uh, and that's that's my biggest problem um, in the sense of we, we know the characters and we know the character beats and we know how they're going to, you know, get to each other. But there's an old saying that plot is the, the skeleton on or the scaffolding on which we hang the characters. So you know, in Act One, for example, I don't know what is actually happening during that time, uh, and that—that's something. You know, I don't know if you've thought about, but it's something you're really going to have to think about. Um, we can talk about about you know how much you've thought about that, and later. My other question, I guess, would be—and this is actually a question. You know, you talk about Sparta, so obviously we're in we're in Greece in some sense. How close to like actual Greece do you want this to be, and how much do you want it to be just like? weird fantasy Greece? Um, mostly it takes place in Olympus. So I'm, I'm kind of playing it loose with the rules, but I do want it to be based somewhat in fact. Okay. Um, Cause the, the attitudes of characters are going to be really important and you know, you're going to have to look at stuff like, like, I don't know how much you know about the Spartans, like the real Spartans and not the 300 Spartans. Um, 
But wait, wait, the, wait. Those aren't the real Spartans. I know. Right? Oh, man. Hollywood lied again. Hollywood lies to us constantly. But <laughs> the gist of the story is Spartans are super weird and fucked up, especially their upper classes, because they're raised in this like insane society. Um, and so any character that comes out of that is going to be like strange in some some ways that are hard for us to understand as uh, as moderns. Um, and so that's something you're going to you're going to have to incorporate. I think I mean, personally, I, I look at that sort of thing as an opportunity because like that's I don't know, characters that are weird because they're from weird societies are just awesome. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. But but it's something, you, you know, you got to do. Understood. I actually uh, I'm, I'm my idea is that Ares is taking these kids as as babies and he's putting them into his own version of the Spartan Agoge, that which is going to okay. be even more intense than what the Spartans do. All right. That's the kind of thing where you're going to need to go go look up some actual history. Um, it also, like, ancient Greece encompasses, like, many different periods. And so you get you sort of should pick a notional year uh, that, that you're going to be in. I mean, if we're after the Trojan War, I mean, that, that tells us one thing. But, you know, gods are immortal, so it doesn't have to be right after it. I don't know. Um, take everything I say with a grain of salt because it's not a period that I'm specialized in is ancient <laughs> Greek history. So like, you know, I know a little bit, but not all that much. Okay. But still. I know uh, enough to know that Hollywood is wrong. Hollywood is right. And we can pretty much <laughs> just accept that as a given. Uh, okay, good. Well, and then, and that's, that's an important uh, uh, flag to raise, I think, because if you are looking for that authenticity of a culture, then there's going to be some research in there. So awesome. Well, and, and I could best, I should clarify, not everyone's looking for that. Not everyone cares, right? Like, you know, sometimes you're setting something in like the ancient Greece of myth and legend and not the ancient Greece of real life. You know, like, you know, Hercules, the legendary journeys has almost nothing to do with like what ancient <laughs> Greece was actually like, but you know, it ran for many seasons. So and still like. a good story, whether it's yeah. historically accurate or not. Exactly. It's just, okay. it, it's. You got to if that's going to be a concern, then you have to think about it. If it's not, then you acknowledge that and move on. Cool, Will? Yeah, understood. Okay, awesome. Master Subkaliak, what about you? First impressions and questions of clarification. Epic in scope is the first thing I think of. <laughs> um, I do have one question, and it, it, it goes back to the very beginning of what you were talking about in turn of Patrocles and, and him being chosen. Um there was something about his heritage that makes Ares question whether or not he wants to accept him. Um, can you give me a little bit more about that? Why, why that's a point? Yeah. Yes. Uh, because when Ares, when, when the gods decide to make the chosen, they send out a call, their acolytes asking for children. Uh, so each acolyte of Ares goes around searching for a child to offer to Ares. Most of them choose the children of famous warriors, you know, the Amazons, the Spartans, things like that. But one particular acolyte chooses the child of an Athenian slave who's famous for killing Spartans. And Ares is reluctant to take a, a child of a slave, you know, when all these other children are, are you know, basically royalty. So he, Ares accepts him, but it, it's only reluctantly because he, he expects him to die quickly, you know, like parentage will out or genetics will out kind of sure, thing. Sure. But okay. Can I ask, what is the point of these chosen? What are they for? Um, in the beginning, Apollo and the fates come together and they realize that they're going to eventually lose their influence on the mortal realm. So they come up with a plan to create these chosen to 
live in the mortal world and they'll have the powers of the God and they'll be, they'll be their hand in the mortal in the mortal world once their power fades. Okay, and so they're supposed to winnow the group down to one. Uh, it's it's up to the individual God, but Ares wants you know one badass dude that can just instill okay. fear and. Cool. Okay. Anything else, Dave? The only other thing, um, going back again to the heritage and, and him killing Spartans, um, and then he becomes friends with Dynakes, I guess because they're, you mentioned also about them being taken as infants. So really that wouldn't play out so much for them individually. Right. It, it's, it's not, it, their, their heritage, like the, the Spartan, the Amazon thing, it matters. I mean, they're told where they came from. But it's not; they don't have the cultural biases that you know come from being raised in that culture. And okay. Diana Keys, he he becomes friends with Patrocles because Patrocles is seen as weak, and you know he's not he's no threat to Diana Keys. But he also sees how useful it is to have a loyal friend who will always have his back. Okay, great. That's it. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely the 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 uh, the epic scope. Uh, or potential epic scope of this uh, is very appealing, Will. Uh, and I've always been kind of um, smitten with mythology in general. So seeing the personification of gods uh, uh, is is always a, an intriguement for me. So you got me hooked there. Um, I, I kind of agree with uh, with Django. We we have this this almost like slice of life thing going on where I'm chosen and away we go. Uh, uh, but there's the the stakes. For Ares, the stakes for the larger stakes, I think, for for uh, Patrocles uh, and the the driving through line of events uh, uh, could use some support. It, it, there, there's obviously a, a causal chain here uh, of things happening, but maybe we can talk about weaving in some some like at scaffolding as it were the framework uh, against which this drama of these of these kids are growing up now. <laughs> I'm intrigued by, you know, when I hear coming of age, I think YA. And uh, uh, a lot of this has smacks of, you know, Percy Jackson uh, and has that vibe to it, uh, except for all of the killing uh, that's going on. Um, There's some killing in Percy Jackson, but not much admitted. There is true. But in this one, it's almost like Hunger Games meets Percy Jackson. Uh, And so... And Hunger Games was a YA book. Here's, I guess that's part of my confusion is uh, uh, the the through line of the story uh, uh, with with a young man uh, uh, being, you know, finally coming into his own power at the end somehow, and we'll figure out how that works. Uh, uh, really, is is the the classic arc of the YA novel. And I'm, am I correct, Will? You don't want this to be a YA thing. I'm not opposed to it. It's just I don't like I said, you know, in, in, your, in your intro, you, you mentioned the Stephen King quote about writing what you read. And I don't really read much young adult. So, I mean, this could be a young adult. I, it does have a romance in it. And it, like you said, the power arc is, is similar to young adult. I'm just not really familiar with it. So I guess it could be. And okay. I, I have no objections going that way. I've, I've left this story pretty much open to development once I, I found out I was going to come on the show because I wanted to leave it open to work with and see where it goes. Well, let's, so let, I'm, 
let's look at it like this then. I and I I get that vibe of it. I understand this. I didn't plan it to be a YA, and the notion of it being a YA would change a lot of your priorities. Let's let's not. Let's just not go there. Let's let's put a pin in this and say it's not YA. We're going to go for a mature audience and see what kind of themes well, evolve. Well, where do you see the book as starting? Like, what's your first scene? Um, my first scene would probably be Apollo going before the, the other eleven Olympian gods and explaining that you know what what his oracles have seen and 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 why they need to create these chosen and how they need to do it. Okay, but I mean, so where how are we introduced to Patrocles? Uh, we'd be introduced to Patrocles probably in this you know the second scene where the, the acolyte takes him from his his mother and offers mm-hmm. him up to Ares. And how old is he at this point? He's an like- infant. I, I, I want to take it from infancy, you know, through adulthood. Okay, so my question is why? Why start as an infant? It's just um, how I, I saw the story in my head. I, I have, I really have no logical justification for it. It's just well, and and you know that it's not wrong, but I find a common problem, and this is something that I've dealt with a lot, is that it's easy to think of something like. You know, Bob and Jim become friends as a scene, but it's not because there's not like you can't write that. There's you'll get to that and you'll be like, well, what goes here? Like, I don't know. Um, Like Bob and Jim go to the bar and bond over their love of old movies. That's a scene. Um, And so so when I read this, this outline, what I'm worried about is that like, you know, him training and him being an outcast like that's not it's not something that you can actually write. I think you need to sort of get down closer into the weeds because I think there's going to be a lot more complication there. Um, I mean, for one thing, we need some other characters, but am I making any sense? Is that no, no, is, I understand? Yeah, I understand completely. I, I haven't I haven't done any outlining because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to leave this open to go wherever. Okay, that, and that's fine. You know, maybe that's not maybe this isn't the place to go over it. I was going to say first of all, there's there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, um, if these kids are being tagged as infants and brought into this realm, then uh, uh, Dianocles' Spartan heritage is irrelevant, as is yeah. Pericles, as is everyone else's. Uh, they are being raised by Ares and by Ares' attendants for all intents and purposes, so the cultural distinctions suddenly go away. You know, I like the idea of a guy who thinks of himself as a Spartan and then that makes him like a big deal, even though like he doesn't isn't actually raised as a Spartan and is totally alien to them. What if they're brought in older? Well, the reason I chose to bring them in as children was because when the gods placed their power in these children, they had to do it when they were children. So as they grew older, the power would develop along with the child and the power would kind of follow the development of the child, which is why some some of the, the chosen display, you know, super strength, speed, you know, invulnerability. And others become more along the lines of, you know, generals. Dude, you could you could totally pull an X Men on this and say yeah. the power remains <laughs> quiescent until adolescence, or or beyond. And and you know maybe the gods don't know who is invested with this power, or or maybe they do, and you know they they tag them assuming that they're going to be awesome because of their heritage, but they don't know. They have no, except for Apollo. Apollo, of course, knows because he's the Oracle. Uh, Go ahead. Who does the raising? Who are the other people? I mean, I assume it's not just Ares, right? Yeah, that's a good question. He did mention Agatha is his wet nurse. So maybe maybe there's wet nurses for the other people as well. 
Yes, there, there, there were other wet nurses, but as they begin their training, they, they kind of, they, they form into groups and they, they start to depend on each other. And that's, that's part of why the isolation of Patrick's is so important is because while these other kids are leaning on each other and forming, you know, family units in their, in their military and lifestyle, Patrick's doesn't have that. All he has is relationship with Agatha. So do they know that they're all supposed to kill each other? Because that seems like it would discourage the formation of family. <laughs> uh, not, not at first. Okay, and so that's like it, sprung on them later. Yeah, it's it, and there, there's and I mentioned the Highlander because when when Ares gives him the power, he spreads it out over all fifty, and then as each of them die, mm-hmm. the power it 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 goes to the rest of them. So as more and more of them, you know, begin to, to die in training, that they get stronger and stronger. And then, you know, actual godlike powers start to emerge. Okay. I, I, something just occurred to me as, as you were describing that, um, the power that is given by the gods is not specific to the God. So if, for example, Ares were to launch a raid on some of the, um, uh, chosen of Athena, and kill them, they would get her power too. And I didn't it, actually think about it that way. But and I, because I, that'll bring in that, because right now everything's isolated in Ares' realm. It's a very enclosed setting, and and you know that would be cool for a while. But for an entire novel, I think it would get claustrophobic after a while. If we can but, open the boundaries between uh, the realms and create and 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 go ahead and have it, you know, th- they're doing this because someday they'll die. Make this the death of the gods. Have it be that when these, you know, when this t- trial is done, the gods are going to die. And that now gives everybody some that, serious stake. That that also, you know, my question is like in, in Act 2, again, like what are they actually doing? Are they still training? Do they fight each other? In, in Act 1, it's mostly contained to Ares' domain. In Act 2, I was – it. It's they're going to start. They're going to branch out into other domains, uh, areas of Olympus. They're going to team up with other chosen. Okay, and so so Ares is sending them out on missions, though. That's that's the the structure. Yes, like the, like, and then you guys mentioned Percy Jackson. I was going to have. I didn't want it to be like monsters are coming after them, but I was definitely going to have you know like the the monsters where they they go on because I mean that's basic Greek mythology. It's the hero. Yeah fighting the monster. So like I was going to have a lot of that as part of their, their training and, you know, ranking system or defending killing. or defending Ares monsters from other, uh, uh, attacks from other chosen because those, those animals have the God's power too. And if you kill the animal, then you get more of that power. And, and so now it's a game of defending your Lord's monsters and also attacking your adversaries monsters for the power. A god like uh, capture the flag kind of yes, system. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, capture, except it's slaughter the flag. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it it's definitely a possibility. Um, it it really what, speaks what to the world saying. and and not so much the character in them. And I guess I guess we kind of need to establish that overarching uh, uh, world and plot within it before we can really dig into the characters. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've always been a, a, a you know able to build worlds, but my weakness as a writer has always been you know the, the characters and, and developing the, the plot of the story. Nobody on this about- Skype line has any understanding of what you're talking about, uh, Will. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> go ahead, Django. Let's let's talk about Patrickles for a second then. So yes, I mean you say that you're not clear on his motivation, and I think that's that's something that we need to think about. So do they know, these kids know from a young age that they're being raised as like the hand of Ares? 
Yes. And so what does he think about that? Like, does he, that he's being raised to be the embodiment of Ares in the mortal world, but like he hates Ares and everything he stands for? Well, initially he, he's like all the others. He wants, you know, he's looking to Ares as a father figure because that, he doesn't have one. But as Ares constantly, you know, denigrates him and mocks him, that it, he, he kind of, it, it becomes almost like a sullen teenager thing where he, he wants to act out against the father figure who hates him. But, but is he and, just mad at him as a, as a person or does he disagree with what he represents? Uh, at first he's mad at him as a person, but then as he's exposed to Athena and like in her wisdom and the way she approaches things and as a tactical matter, it, it kind of speaks to him. So he, be- he becomes more and more as Athena-like, which of course draws more and more of Ares' ire because Ares sees him as everything he hates. So, so we need like then to think about, you know, he needs an objective other than just act winning. out against Ares. Right. Well, he needs stakes. I mean, so, so you've got this thing, they've got some kind of ranking system. Um, obviously he doesn't want to be at the bottom because I assume horrible things happen to whoever's at the bottom. This being Ares after all. Uh, but like we need more. That's the, he needs some personal reason that doing these things is important to him. That that's what drives the story. Um, Dave, you got anything to, to help? Flesh I, that I, got, out? I got a couple questions. Um, first, you said that Agatha is his wet nurse. She's the one who basically is the only one who really shows him any kindness. Yeah. She's just basically becomes his surrogate mother. Okay. So you have Agatha is his surrogate mother. Ares is his surrogate father. How does Agatha die? Uh, I was planning on having her die. Some of the other chosen attack Patrocles. And I was planning on her her trying to step in and stop it and then have her accidentally killed in in the the fight. Okay. Is it possible that she's the one who points Patrocles to associate with Danikis and Calliope? Because you, you, you said that in the first act, you know, they're forming a tentative friendship, but what's, what's the impetus for that? Uh, it actually is her death. It was Calliope was going to, she, she sees how, you know, heartbroken he is and actually reaches out to him. And then I was going to have Diana Keys in a training mission. I was going to have Patrick Lee's assist him and, and save him from like a certain death, which that's when Diana Keys recognizes the strength of having a loyal friend. Oh, we're kind of getting lost in the weeds here. Uh, yeah. uh, as far as Dave, were you? Did you have a, a, a larger arc that you were going to tease out of that? Well, I was wondering if her death was initially meant to be that driving force uh, that pushes him on to to kind of go along with what Ares has going on. Can I say something about that? Yeah, and, sure. And this is something. I'm reluctant to say it because I feel like it'd be really annoying if someone said it to me, but I have to do it. Um, are you familiar with the concept of women in refrigerators? No, I'm not. The The idea here is that you have two two women in this story that you've mentioned, Agatha and Calliope, and they both die for the purpose of motivating the main male character. Bam. Um, that's, and, that's what I was getting at. Th- this is a problem um, because – I mean, for one thing, it's just a trope that's been done like a gazillion times and it, you know, people get a little sick of it. The, uh, the, you know, guy is, is motivated to revenge, revenge. by the death of his true yes. love or defend and, the damsel or whatever. 
Um, I don't know if like, do do you see the other chosen as being a mixed male female thing, or is Calliope the only woman because she's the Amazon? No, there's there was gonna be other other girls. Okay. And that that helps, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like not having those be the only women in the story. I understand you've only mentioned like three characters or whatever, because it's just a summary. That's fine. And so that helps. But like, have you considered doing it the other way around? Like, have the final duel be between Patrocles and Calliope because she murders Dianakes because they're such bros or something like doesn't have to be a romantic thing. You know, something like that would make this way more interesting to me that because otherwise it feels very, I don't know, just standard. Do you guys, do you guys yeah. agree with this? No, or am I just I'm, totally off? Base? No, you no, are I totally, see, I see what you're getting at. You're totally on. Uh, like, like I'd love to see like Patrocles and Calliope fall in love, but then like Patrocles and Dianakis become really good friends and they're like bros. Cause they're always off on training missions together. And like, Calliope murders Dianakis and then Patrocles has to fight her. Like that seems like a way more interesting. Like, or, or maybe conclusion. even Pat, or maybe Patrocles falls in love with Dianakis. I mean, you, you know? could go that way for sure. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like not everyone wants to do that. That's true. Fine. It's not the romantic character, the romantic interest who has to get killed off to provide motivation. Like there's other ways you could go about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Other, other heartstrings to pull other, other stakes that can be raised uh, uh, beyond that. I couldn't agree more. What if, what if Patrocles' ultimate goal is not just to to thwart Ares? If we are at the age, and, and again, I, I threw this out there. I don't know if it, it took a hook or not. But uh, if we are at the time when the gods are going to die, that these are the last, th- this is their last ditch attempt at immortality. And these chosen are going to ground their force. Uh, and as soon as the chosen are are chosen and graduated or whatever, the gods are going to die. What if Patrocles says, good, we don't need any fucking gods. What if, what if, and, and whether, whether it's, it's through a scrying pool that, that one of Hermes agents revealed to him or whatever, what if somebody is trying to literally kill the gods that, that humanity would be better under their own aegis rather than that of the gods and Patrocles, you know, initially, yeah, he toes the party line, but there's something that that grows in him that it's like, no, we don't need the gods. We don't need the chosen. He's actually going to end up being against everybody. It's the- actually a strong arc if you say, if Patrickley starts out being like, I got to win this competition, you know, to be the, the top of Ares chosen. You know, if his character arc is not just, you know, and then he wins, like, and that's the end of the story. But if he gets to the point where he's like, this competition is bullshit. Like you took us with against our will yeah. and set us in a place where we all have to kill each other. That is fucking bullshit. And I'm not going to stand for it. And you want us right. to perpetuate that in the world? You want us to continue this dominion of, of humanity? You have turned me not human. Uh, you, right. He's literally denied his humanity in doing this. And maybe there's even some self-loathing there because, you know, there is that humanity lost and and the gods have never been human it, holy crap they're like the the one percent they're like the the, the presidential <laughs> candidates <laughs> they oh, don't God. understand the common people <laughs> holy crap this just became fucking topical man <laughs> you wouldn't finish writing it before then the election yeah that's a problem <laughs> yeah, that's faster than me. so i don't know if you want to go that topical well you could have somebody like hades or hermes or someone who's on the fringe of the pantheon realize you know take up the charge of humanity and pick uh uh 
Patrickles. In fact, maybe he was Patrickles' pick from the beginning to be the agent of change, not just to sustain the gods on the earth, but to end their rule. What do you think of that, Will? I actually do like that. I mean, I was always kind of planning on having him turn against Ares, but to turn against the whole pantheon is kind of... It, it is, it's just something I hadn't considered, and I like sure. I like where that's kind of headed. It opens up a whole, a whole, whole bunch of options. You and know? now the conflict between Calliope and and Patrocles and Dianakes is: Are you with me, or are you yeah. not? And I definitely see where you're going with that, and it's got my brain. <laughs> it's got your brain ticking. Shakes things up yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's nice. And that'll also bring in a lot more of the other gods and, and you could actually have, you know, this 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 plot, this conspiracy uh, uh, to end the gods coming from inside the gods realm somewhere. We need some characters who are chosen of other gods. I think we're, we're going to need to, like, interact with them more. Yeah, if that's if you're going to do like if it's all just going to be Aries and like, you know, as it stands, like you said, it was sort of claustrophobic. Like it's it's just Aries realm. Aries is chosen all his thing, you know. And the, the ultimate thing at stake is, you know, becoming Ares, essentially. But, like, maybe they meet some other chosen of another god and they're supposed to fight them, but they're attacked by a monster and they end up working together. Well, and that kind of, like, gets some friendship started there. And yeah. then, like, like, later they might have to, you know, they're like, I'm not going to kill this guy. I, you know, he saved my life before. And then, you know, some other some like sort of broader variety of characters. Well, and the Greek gods never trusted each other. Uh, uh, So the notion, the notion of letting all of the gods nurture their own chosen, it seems like, it seems like a bad idea. It would be much better if everybody was in a central area and that way no gods can pull any, any dickery and, and chicanery and, and pull any tricks. All the chosen are all together. And I, you, I don't mind them being in fiefdoms. Like as long, I think your idea about them interacting is good. Like, like I can totally see, you know, Ares has his guys and he's like, all right, now we're going to go raid Athena's people and like go kill those guys. Mm-hmm. And like, they're just like constantly feuding with each other. Go, it could I'd be like a the chosen to reflect the personalities of the gods. So like Ares are all super bloodthirsty and Zeus's are all really arrogant and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Arrogant and horny. Yeah. arrogant and horny exactly. <laughs> there's, there's going to be some erotica in here I can see that yeah I think that's actually probably true <laughs> I mean, I can see you're going to stay true to Greek mythology right exactly have the people turning into swans and stuff to there's going to be some well, pregnancies there there's going to be some pregnancies going on in here too if they're <laughs> if they're going through the whole years and years together maybe maybe a communal uh, 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 resting place or gathering place and then they are whisked off to the to the to the domains for the training and and the stuff and and we get that uh, uh but giving them giving them this 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 common area where you know it's it's everybody uh, uh or maybe there's just like a big city that they all go to for fun or for some reason yeah there you go i'm you know, kind they of all, they all go drink at the bars i'm now i'm getting a harry potter vibe which is another ya oh, thing oh that's true uh uh but but yeah absolutely absolutely so, guys, I'm I'm looking at the clock and it's starting to tick down. Will, where is there anything else you'd like us to dive into uh, before we go into the final wrap up? I'm um, just just not. I think the final thoughts just kind of give me a path to, to try to follow. I'd appreciate okay. that. Okay, awesome. Then let's go ahead and do that. We'll take one more turn around the table and and give final thoughts. Any ideas that you didn't get a chance to put out uh, during the workshop proper? Uh, uh, fill, fill Will's pockets full of literary gold uh, to send him off to write this bad boy. Django, we'll start with you, sir. Final thoughts for Will? Um, 
the thing that I I didn't get to get into is uh, the character of Calliope. I think is going to need some work because, like as it stands, she just is kind of adjunct to Patrocles. And if she's going to be super important in this book, we need more than that. We need she needs to have like a motivation and the plot of her own and the story, uh, so that we care when she dies. Um, if she dies, you know, if she dies, you know, this, and it's, it's, I'm not saying she can't die. Like that's, it's, you could make that work. No question, but we need, we need more. That's something you need to think more about from her own point of view and not just what she provides to Patrocles as a plot device. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's an excellent point. David. Um, I was, I'm, I'm going to have to echo what Django was just saying. Make sure that all of the characters, not just the female characters, but all the characters have agency. They have to have their own motivations, their own their own storylines. What are they there for? What are they reaching for? And and just go from that point. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I think I think we need to bring in a little bit of the larger world into the story. Uh, uh, Will right now, as the story stands, it's it's very isolated from the rest of Greece, from the rest of the Mediterranean. I mean, you've got the Egyptians down there. You've got, you've got the, 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 the Mongols are happening in Asia. Uh, uh, there's, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, and, and I, I feel like we need, we need a looking glass, uh, a scrying pool, uh, or, or even a, a shore leave or something that allows over the course of these epochs, that are unfolding as this training and this growth unfolds. I mean, God, I really am getting a Harry Potter vibe on this where you got your first year, second year, third year. And you, that's another thought. You might actually consider not having this all be one big epic thing, but have it be multiple books charting through the stages of their life uh, uh, and and letting the the drama and the stakes grow and allowing us to to see the impact it has on the larger world and the people in that world that these characters care about and and how that affects and impacts them as well that connects I, them I just got this out of nowhere but you know you said epochs passing and I was like so what if time passes much faster on Olympus than it does in Ooh. in the rest of Greece so like they spend a year on Olympus and they come down and like a hundred years have passed. Dude. And like it's totally different. And so like, you know, they have these periodic outings to the rest of Greece and we like go through their history and like things are changing. Yeah. And, and, and it could be, you know, God, you could have this structure where, you know, in this book, it's, you know, we, we get introduced to the scenario and all of this thing. And, you know, at the end of book one, they, they are released from their first stage of training and the world is completely changed. Bam. Book two. Now we've moved into a different historical epoch. They're engaging and working with a, a different realm. And, and everything <laughs> is working up towards this, this, the next big test. And that test is undertaken. And then they go back again. And it's another, you know, 10 years, 100 years, however much. That could be a really intriguing historical perspective but also uh, 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 a grounding that, of the characters that's a lot to take on though so well, like, yeah that's I, true i don't blame yeah. you if that's not what you want to do because that's a big <laughs> project yeah yeah 
but an interesting an interesting what if to to, to play around with and so on. But but that that's my suggestion is is making sure that these events and these stakes are not just about the gods and this Olympus, but that there is something grounded in the rest of the world that is also at stake as well. That's that's my suggestion. So all right. <laughs> Dang, Will, this is good story food, man. We, we covered a lot of ground there. Now, you know the rules. You take this literary gold and spin of it whatever you will. You write the end. You get it edited. Promise me you will get this thing edited. <laughs> and you will do beta yeah. readers. And you will do all of that good stuff. And then you put it out in the world. And whether it's a PDF or you self-pub it or you get a, a multi-book deal from, from a huge trad pub, however that works, as long as your story is out in the world, you come back, you let us know. And we will knight you. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast. Is that is that a deal? Are we down with that? I'm down with that. Awesome. Awesome. And we will hold it in Olympus. <laughs> there will be debauchery and 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 satyrs dancing around. It's gonna be an <laughs> epic party, dude. You gotta make that scene. Write this story. Uh Django Wexler, sir, thank you so much. This this is happy to be here. I hope I could have I was at least a little useful. Absolutely. You you are an affirmation of why we bring seasoned veterans into this discussion. You you raised some superb points and and illustrated some excellent opportunities and dangers for Will as he moves forward. So thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> Dave Subkowiak, my wingman, my my co-host for this episode. Dude, thank you so much. It was good having you by my side and and great to 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 get into the brain mush with you. This was awesome. This was epic. This, this was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much as well, sir, for, for making the time. And as long as we're doling out the gratitude, uh, dear friends, thank you. Uh, as much fun as we had uh, bandying ideas and tossing possibilities around, uh, uh, we share this so that you can listen to it and gain some literary gold for your own work. So if, if you dug it, if you're feeling the love, blog about us, share a Facebook post, tell the world about the fabulosity that is the Roundtable podcast. So, man, I am so lighting a cigarette. This this is this this was epic brainstorming goodness. And as spent as we all are, the fabulous thing about the Roundtable is in just 7 days we are up and at it again. Another incredible guest host pouring wisdom into our ears, another courageous guest writer setting the table at our story brainstorming feast. More Roundtable goodness to be had. But that is seven days, and I know, I know it's a long time. Dave, what can our listeners do to 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 fill that incredible gap of seven days between our episodes? I think what they should do is write some history into whatever it is they're working on. Ooh, interesting. Sure, whether it's secondary world or or, or urban fantasy or whatever, yeah. Definitely, because because fantasy or history gives that that footing of of a larger story arc. I like that, and I will tell you as I always do, dear friends, you find what you're looking for. So look for the awesome top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the package at the back of the tree. Look for the change in the sofa, and I promise you, if you look for it, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, and be awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios. 
and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.